So good morning, everyone. I don't know if you noticed, it was raining. It was so delightful um, after we've had so much humidity to have some, some wonderful rain. It feels very fresh now. So uh, I would like to continue now with our discussion of the Four Noble Truths. And today we're going to uh, focus specifically on the first noble truth that is the noble truth of dukkha, or what is commonly translated as suffering, but as Peg discussed the other day, um, at Gil Franzdahl's suggestion that painful or painfulness are uh, translations that perhaps are a little better. So this is the first noble truth of painfulness. Um, so some of the references that I used for this talk are um, Gil Fransdale's uh, talks on the Four Noble Truths. Um, he's had five talks on, on um, Dukkha, on the Audio Dharma. And then in the Buddha's words, which was, it's edited by Bhikkhu Bodhi, and Reflections on Silver River, um, Ken McLeod, Tokme Songpo's 37 Practices of a Bodhisattva. So in this uh, talk this morning, <clears throat> I'd like to look at uh, three, I'll say, aspects of working with our suffering <clears throat> or painfulness um, as presented by uh, Gil Fransdale in his talks. So this study is particularly of interest to me as it corresponds to uh, a meditation that I've been doing quite a bit of work with recently, which um, in the practice period, which is the Anapanisati. Um, and so, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll look at that in a little bit. As there's a lot of commonalities in, in that, and uh, working with moment-to-moment -moment experience and the contemplation of the Four Noble Truths, and uh, also the contemplation of impermanence, cessation, or dispassion, cessation, and path, the path to cessation. So, um, in understanding pain or painfulness, uh, Peg mentioned yesterday that each noble truth has a ta task associated with it. And the particular task of the first noble truth of dukkha is understanding suffering fully and deeply. So uh, many people regard suffering as something they want to escape from, they want to get rid of it, <clears throat> and do anything rather than face it head on. But for, uh, for us, uh, the idea is to turn towards suffering and our painfulness in a way that helps us really understand it. And it's a way of looking at it and um, doing it in, a, in wise ways uh, in dealing with our suffering uh, from a place of ease, peace, and equanimity. So that it is indeed it's possible to, uh, to get close to it and actually look at it and understand it and know it. So part of this understanding of our suffering is learning where the suffering <clears throat> and painfulness comes from, 
what it's made up of, what are its consequences in psychology. And basically it means learning how to be with our sorrow, our grief, our anguish, in, again in this way of uh, an equanimity. So we don't add anything else on, we're not reacting to it, or we're not attacking it or ourselves or becoming angry or collapsing in despair. So it means sitting up and looking it right in the eye and say, I see you. So uh, it isn't a task uh, that's easy, but it's our task as practitioners, and we can slowly build a practice that uh, increases our capacity for being grounded and rooted in ourselves and to find our balance and find a place to breathe quietly and relax and honestly look at it. So it's not about increasing our suffering, but rather being able to look at it uh, without all the reactivity. So how might we, how might we do this? Um, well, one thing that we can look at uh, that's, or we can use to do this task and do it without turning away or shutting down, or pretending it's uh, different from what it really is, or creating some sort of romantic view of reality that doesn't recognize the severity, seriousness, or the scale of human suffering. So um, the way that we do that, because it's a lot of focusing, may seem like a lot of focusing on, on suffering, and it may might, you might think it might uh, lead to you know, despair or discouragement. So um, to order, in order to have some balance, uh, we can use happiness, or not just the happiness that's, oh, I, I finally got this thing, I'm happy about it, but it's more a deep sense of joy. And the Buddha emphasized uh, this kind of happiness. He emphasized doing things that cultivate happiness, gladness, and joy, and other forms of well-being, which enable us to really be with the suffering and look at it deeply, such that joy can be the container or the foundation from which we can go deep to feel that core central suffering of our lives, which doesn't come and go, and that we can do this from a place of well-being coupled with the stability and groundedness. So again, this isn't easy, but, uh, but the, the teachings clearly say that there is suffering, there is suffering, and there is also happiness. And this is the path that is well known and that people have been doing for a very long time, since the time of the Buddha. And it is the same suffering as in the time of the Buddha. The Buddha was able to find a happy and peaceful way to live that could coexist with the suffering world. And he wasn't burdened by the suffering, but was realistic about it. He didn't take responsibility for it, but was responsive to it and addressed it. And although the scale um, of suffering might be greater now, just because of the sheer numbers of people, um, it's the same 
same suffering of human, human suffering. So this combination of, of uh, joy and um, compassion uh, that we want to do this work with. A classic example of it is um, uh, the Dalai Lama. And if you've ever seen the Dalai Lama, you, you can see how in one moment he's full of compassion. He's listening to people who may be describing horrific um, moments in their lives, and you may see tears in his eyes even when he listens <clears throat> fully to, to their tales. And, and yet moment, moments later when he leaves there and rejoins friends or students and he's talking with them, you see that he's just as fully involved or um, just as fully engaged in um, laughing and being playful, because he's a pretty playful guy, it seems like. And so this is a wonderful example of this kind of balance of being fully there with the suffering and also being present with the joy as context shift, of course. And his, the wonderful thing about the Dalai Lama is that it's, he's not, that's, uh, is that his happiness is not only uh, a foundation for understanding suffering, but apart from that, it's incredibly uh, infectious for anybody who witness, witness, witnesses it. And that in itself is a tremendous gift. So um, this deeper sense of joy and well-being can act like a counterweight uh, to the heaviness of suffering and pain. And in uh, in the book Reflections on Silver River, a translation of Tokmei Jongpo's 37 Practices of a Bodhisattva by Kevin McLeod, joy is seen as a joy that in some sense is always there, waiting for you, but usually touched only when some challenge, pain, or tragedy leaves you with no other option but to open and accept what is happening in your life. So there, uh, are some people who do not uh, have access to joy and happiness because they have difficult lives, very difficult lives and challenging life circumstances, um, and that their fear and pain overwhelm them. So it can be very distressing for folks like that when they hear that the end of suffering involves happiness and joy. It's like, uh-oh. In some cases, uh, it's important for us to recognize the need to prepare ourselves um, to do this deep work of meditation, uh, to prepare and get ourselves ready for the cultivation of uh, a sense of relaxation, peace, and happiness. So to get there, we develop a simple grounding of care and tenderness for ourselves. And we consider what our challenges are and figure out a gentle, kind way to be present and learn to be there. And it's not a question of diving into this uh, and addressing our suffering immediately if we don't have a solid foundation. So we can begin on the edges of it, on the edges of painfulness and suffering and assess what we need to support ourselves in the creation of a foundation for addressing it at the right time. So 
I see this process of dealing with our suffering is somewhat akin to the way we work with uh, our parts in um, IFS training. The same way of going very slowly and coming from self, capital self, um, capital S, uh, compassionately with great, great care and, and, um, and patience. It's a similar sort of process in that way. So um, the, the Buddha clearly states that there are four things that lead to the welfare and happiness of a family man in this very life. What for? The accomplishment of persistent effort, accomplishment of protection, good friendship, and balanced living. And then there are four other things uh, that lead to a, f a family man's welfare and happiness in the future. What for? Accomplishment in faith, moral discipline, generosity, and wisdom. So in this, uh, it's just in this formation for being able to work with uh, looking at our suffering and really being with it. Um, this is all part of the, the Buddhist um, life of, of being ethical and uh, working with the precepts, for example, and obvious and subtle ways uh, have of our speech, for example, and working with the um, with with generosity and working with generosity in small ways, perhaps just to start, which can make such a big difference in our behavior, and we can become confident that we're eth ethical and can feel a kind of joy about that. <clears throat> that our at least our behavior is okay, even if inside we may still have a lot of difficulty, and then. <clears throat> uh, we can cultivate, cultivate this joy um, by finding it in, uh, in the particular activity that one is doing at this moment, instead of being wrapped up in the idea of it has to be different. And we can cultivate a realistic kind of contentment and, and in so doing um, lay the foundation of well-being. And then the study of the hindrances uh, also help us stop our reactivity to not add on to our core suffering. We don't want to do that in, in, in trying to understand our suffering. So we study mindfulness of the body to, to again ground us and, and to help us be present and balanced. And so we can begin trusting the flow of our experience and be present without resisting or wanting or not getting caught up in the solidification of self, which our mind keeps wanting to, our thinking might want to lead us back to. So we do these things a little at a time, and gradually, over time, we become more open. <clears throat> um, there's a, a book, um, The Miracle of Mindfulness by Thich Nhat Hanh, and in this book, there's a, a short little reading that I think is so lovely. Um, uh, t about washing the dishes, it's a very common one, it's, um, where uh, it talks about mindfulness when doing mundane chores as washing the dishes, and he talks about paying attention, attention to the physical sensations that are arising during the activity, um, in the warmth of the water, or perhaps the colors, there's like rainbow colors in the suds, you know. And 
this kind of mindfulness practice helps us stay in the moment-to-moment -moment experience and find enjoyment in it. So all of these things are for when suffering is really big, when that's what we're dealing with. This is, this is the medicine. <clears throat> and when it's not so big, um, we already have and already have the foundation. We can keep practicing and cultivating joy, looking for a place of well-being <clears throat> in a realistic way and making a comp conscious effort to look for opportunities to appreciate the life we have. And in this way, happiness and suffering can coexist. So, um, so now in the, the, the last part of this is of working with the, the dukkha is to really initiate a deep inquiry <clears throat> into freedom of suffering. Um, so again, a lot of people use the fight, flight, or freeze sort of mechanism for <clears throat> to, in, in terms of suffering. And those are uh, a little bit unhealthy, but um, we do have healthy ways of doing it. And um, the first one is, is um, you know, using the compassion, as I said before, and uh, to approach and, and help and support and alleviate suffering wherever we can. Um, and there's another way, and this is, um, uh, Gil Fronsdale mentions, it's called Samvega, which is a Buddhist term indicating a sense of shock or dismay or spiritual urgency to reach liberation and escape the samsara, the suffering of samsara, and this, like, the shock of a, uh, a sudden death, you know, that, that kind of situation. And instead of <clears throat> running away, we turn back towards ourselves to get to the bottom of our suffering, to really look directly at it, become free of it. And the uh, third way is just instead of um, uh, being in paralysis, frozen, we can get still and quiet and gaze on everything in a kindly, with uh, a kindly gaze and with care, so it's like with loving kindness and compassion. So uh, I had been working with this, um, with some of this moment-to-moment -moment experience with Anapadasati and some other work, and um, and I'm sure you all have probably experienced this too about the, the how phenomena. If we're look really looking closely at in meditation at the moment-to-moment -moment experience, we see that. <clears throat> what we thought was something solid or something um, permanent in terms of our suffering, that in actuality we can uh, watch it um, change. And, and this is, uh, the Buddha said, everything is impermanent. impermanent. Um, Gil Franzdahl uses the word or prefers the word inconstant as a translation, um, how things come and go. They don't necessarily uh, disappear, <clears throat> or we don't know. But in any case, it did, the things disappear or change, and um, so consequently our experience of them uh, change. So um, in, in using mindfulness, we can start to be aware of things 
uh, without so many filters um, of our stories or our interpretations or commentary. And we can see, uh, get, see through some of the concept, the generalized concepts by which we see things. And of course, mindfulness will take us into the present moment, but more than that, to the direct experience of the present moment. And the direct experience is much more immediate without being filtered, as I said before, um, and, and without our adding things on top of it. So when we see our sorrow or our pain or grief, our anguish, we can just, in, again, this is in, in meditation, allow it to be there without doing anything but gazing on it deeply and um, seeing the moment-to-moment -moment experiencing of it, being aware of that and watching it unfold and flow and move and watch its inconstancy. It's rising, it's passing, shifting and changing all the time. And what holds things into some idea that it is permanent and fixed is not immediacy of experience. It's, that isn't the experience, but rather the way the mind interprets it in the way the mind holds on to it or reacts to it. So uh, by calming and settling the mind from its reactive mode, we start being in the flow or stream of experience in a deeper way. And it's a respectful way to allow our sorrow or distress to just flow without our active involvement in it. So in, in this um, realm of of meditation, we can feel safe enough, and safety being another very important part of this, just like in IFS uh, teachings, to let what is going on inside us have our full permission to be there and help uh, whatever it is be safe. So no matter what, we let it flow and we um, hold it in a kind, kindly gaze with kind awareness without fixing, changing, or interrupting, and just allowing it to be. And uh, it runs its course, it, it's, and it will change, and we notice, again, how this things are, in fact, inconstant, and that they rise and pass, arise and pass. And so um, the deep connection and deep flow and inconstancy is, in fact, the medicine for this nature of suffering. That is, where we discover the freedom from suffering is precisely uh, where, we, where we find the suffering. So only there can we pre appreciate both how much dukkha there is, how much suffering, how much painfulness there is, and also our capacity for clarity in seeing the suffering is liberating. So the freedom is in the capacity of our mind, of our lucid mind. The mind becomes very, very clear. As everything is going through our experience of things, through our perception of things, this is, this is where the suffering and freedom are, not in the vast world of out there or in here. But in the moment-to-moment -moment experience, this is where we see the suffering, this is what is liberating. And one of the ways that it's liberating is when there is 
very clear recognition, awareness becomes lucid, and our awareness becomes spacious and so clear that we know we are aware, and we really know this. And the amazement of being conscious of what we are uh, aware of in the flow of experience becomes almost secondary to our capacity to be aware of it. So we're not lost or preoccupied by what we are knowing. We still know clearly and lucidly, but there's a certain kind of freedom in the lucidity or clarity with which we know it. So with this mind, we can clearly recognize gazing on all things kindly, and there we find a degree of freedom. And there's a path to full awakening. If we can flow, we can find this freedom. And with this, we can approach our, our clinging. So that's, uh, is there anything else I want to say about that? So I'll give a, a quick example of my experience of working with the Anapati Sutta. Um, it's a 16-step uh, meditation, and the, the first one is dealing with um, the body. It's breathing long, breathing short, and then uh, paying attention to um, the body as we breathe, it's all based on the breath, and, and then, then calming the breath, and then, and then we go on to uh, joy, and feeling the joy that we feel um, from that calming of the body, and, um, and then we go into looking at mental activity, and just observing it, and, and, and then from there go on to um, calming the mental activity. And from there, we, we observe, take a good look at the, at the mind and um, just observe it, just experience the mind. And uh, from there, what arises is a certain gladness of the mind. And from that, uh, we become very focused. And um, with that uh, focus, then, um, we can... Um, kind of drop the mind or liberate liberate our minds. Um, and then the, the last four steps are the contemplations of the Four Noble Truths. So uh, the impermanence, um, dispassion, the cessation of suffering, and then the Eightfold Path, the practice of, or the path of the cessation of suffering. And uh, my experience with all that is precisely this uh, process of becoming very um, acutely uh, aware of the moment-to-moment -moment experience. You know, and there's no, you know, no thought particularly. Just, uh, just a, just a general awareness. And in contemplating the impermanence or inconstancy at, at that moment. Uh, my experience of it was very, very different. I've always looked at uh, death, for example, as something that's a final thing. You know, everything ends at death. And but through that uh, meditation, actually, um, 
uh, it seemed very clear to me through this sort of awareness um, that it is all coming and going and we are all coming and going <laughs> everything is all coming and going and it, all of a sudden it's, it, 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 there uh, is a certain um, realization if you want to call it that or an insight of um, when you think of cosmology the um, Carl Sagan and the Big Bang Theory and how uh, you know a birthless birth of <laughs> Uh, this big explosion and and then you know the world being created from that but that uh, there's this big separation you know where things exploded out that in fact things are still moving out so it's not like there was some sort of finality there's never sort of uh, any finality but rather a, a constant transition so um, I don't know. I, it, for me, that was a very hopeful sort of thought. Uh, in this is what came over me anyway. Uh, wait, time to cut. But um, uh, this this impermanence or inconstancy is is um, is to see it as as everything is is. Uh, transitioning into something new and it's this really lovely lovely process and I suppose our suffering is is part of that right so okay thank you very much <laughs>